More money means better food and nutrition security for smallholder farmers, right? It seems like a fair assumption, but is this actually a dangerous assumption? I'm Andy Clark, and you're listening to a new podcast series from Watro, the Science for Global Development division of the Dutch Research Council. And yes, the series is called Dangerous Assumptions. In each episode, we challenge a deeply held assumption underpinning research projects in the food and nutrition security sector. Self-evident beliefs which shape policy and themselves seem unshakable. But are they really? Insights from 75 research projects carried out in 25 low- and middle-income countries show there is very little that can be taken for granted. So first in the firing line is the idea that increasing the income of smallholder farmers and producers will improve the food and nutrition security of their families. It seems like an economic no-brainer. More income means a better life in general, and so better food and nutrition security. But research findings are calling this assumption into question. In this first episode, we go to Ghana, and we hear the very different perspectives from researchers, a businessman and a policymaker who all work in the food sector. If you're looking for a typical Ghanaian, then that Ghanaian might be a smallholder farmer because majority of the population are farmers. And they farm a so small size of land that supposedly that's why they are called smallholder farmers. Uh, so the average person you meet, if, you're, if you move from Accra downwards, is probably a smallholder farmer. Yeah, and their life, I think if Ghana is poor, then they are the poorest, I suppose, uh, in Ghana as well. Yeah. My name is uh, Ata Asantewa Mata, uh, but they call me Kakra because I'm a twin. And the younger one of the twin is called Kakra. So normally people call me Kakra because I am the younger of the twins. <laughs> as well as being a twin, a Ghanaian and coming from a long line of farmers, Kakra is also a PhD researcher and has been working on food and nutrition security research projects for the Dutch Research Council. So who better to turn to as the first of our guests? What does she make of the assumption that increasing income will increase food and nutrition security? Very dangerous assumption. I am not saying by dangerous that it is wrong. It is not wrong. It is good to increase, especially for women who are in charge of food crop production and who are in charge of the cooking. But it's dangerous because we are looking at just one aspect of food and nutrition security, if we are talking about income. And so it is dangerous just to say that I'm going to increase incomes for food and nutrition security. It would be better if we say we are increasing production, food production, and we are increasing income. If these two really goes together, then I think we would be making the progress that we think we will make. Yeah. 
Kakra has been conducting research for a project on inclusive partnerships and innovation platforms for sustainable landscapes and greater food sovereignty amongst tree crop farmers in Ghana. The research here has shown in certain situations a higher income achieved by focusing on cash crops can adversely affect food and nutrition security. Kakra thinks focusing purely on income is too narrow. I think it is actually acknowledging that they eat a lot of what they produce and putting attention on helping them sustain what they produce. We can't put attention on cash crops because that's, a, that's also important. For them selling their food crops to pay school fees will never be enough. Selling uh, cassava to build a house will never happen, for instance. And so it is important that we help them to increase incomes. But then shifting the whole attention to cash is not also the solution. This dual approach is key, she says, but often the attention is skewed towards cash crops like cocoa and palm oil and not to food production. Kakra says in particular many of the licensed buying companies neglect the food production element. A lot of their attention is not there, especially if they are focusing on tree crops, it's just the tree crops. Oh, uh, all the LBCs be interviewed, they all look at farmers from the perspective of cocoa, for instance. They are targeting the, the produce, and so the attention is always on the cocoa crop and not the food crops. Having culturally appropriate food is also essential, says Kakra, and here money is not the answer, but safeguarding local production. When it comes to food, we should realize that that is why in the definition of food security there's something called culturally appropriate food. Preference. In Ghana, if my grandmother, I cook rice in my house every day, and after eating, if you ask my grandmother, have you eaten today? She will tell you, no, I have not eaten. And that's because she's not eating her fufu. Fufu is made from cassava and kokoyam or plantain and with soup. So I can cook rice every day for her, but she will tell you she has not eaten. And especially I remember one farmer telling me, I have not eaten since June, July. And I was like, oh, and you are still alive? And I said, no, I haven't eaten fufu. So I am not really alive. I am just hanging in so that August and September will come and I can eat my fufu. And so that's by the fact that at the back of their minds, they think that if they get the money, they can still buy food with the money. They also have that thing in their minds that they might not get the food that they actually want to eat. They might get to buy rice, but for them, rice is not their food. Rice is now for the new generation because the children love rice these days. But the adult population doesn't enjoy rice. It is not the food they love. Research also shows for many farmers, ensuring that income is regular and stable is more important than a higher income per se. This closely relates to risk perceptions and management by smallholders. Important factors are access to processing facilities, markets and other outlets for produce. Projects show that if farmers are not convinced of the presence of reliable markets, they will not invest time and resources, even if yields and profitability look promising. 
One research project aimed at addressing this issue worked on the development of an automated solar-powered fruit-drying technology for smallholder farmers. Yes, so the solar-powered fruit-drying project, uh, which we call the Fruit Protec, was an innovative project that was funded by the Netherlands Organization for Scientific Research, NOW. The project's objective was to develop low entry cost technology for fruit and vegetable drying in Ghana. The main idea was to reduce the huge post-harvest losses and food wastage that are linked with food production and marketing, especially for mangoes. The project was implemented by two Ghanaian enterprises. The man we just heard is Daniel Aseri J, and he heads up one of these local businesses. We're keen to learn about his perspective as a business person on food and nutrition issues. His starting point is technical innovation. After scouring the world and examining different fruit-drying technologies, he came to the conclusion that Ghana needed its own robust, low-cost solution. A drying unit was designed using a converted shipping container in which a drying oven was fixed, powered by solar with liquid petroleum gas as a backup. Yeah, so essentially it's, uh, it looks like a 20-footer shipping container. We then reinforce the interiors with um, um, a material that can prevent heat loss. Uh, you put in also um, radiators, so the kind of radiator that you find in vehicles. You put it there to Daniel describes the, the problem the drying the unit solved for the smallholder farmers. Yes, yeah, so essentially we were trying to help the smaller farmers to find ready market for their for their crop. And so hitherto before the project, the farmers who have grown a lot of mangoes, particularly very juicy mangoes, had no market for their crops. At the harvest time, you see most of the fruits are left to rot on the tree on the trees in the farms. And most of the farmers were becoming discouraged. Some of them were decided to cut down their trees to make way for other crops. And so one day dryer became available and then now made available to the farmers. First of all, the percentage of farmers who were selling their fruits at what you call the giveaway prices dropped from 85% at the baseline to just about 20%. At the same time, we also were able to improve market access for 1,000 smaller farmers in the project area, which then contributed significantly to their household income. And this has had a major impact. Farmers now, on the average, are increasing their income by 180%, which is huge. I mean, most of the farmers who have been taking advantage of this drying facility are now having on the average 180% in income increases. And to emphasise sustainability of income, the project has also offered the smallholders the chance to become shareholders in the overall drying company. This for us is quite, quite fundamental to ensure that farmers can actually have a much more income, can live a decent life and also uh, become much more profitable what they do. And so that's the idea, that the whole idea is to create local ownership and make sure that farmer participation is sustained. So what does Daniel make of the assumption we are testing in this podcast? Does he think it's dangerous to assume that an increase in income will lead to an increase in food and nutrition security? This assumption is not dangerous at all. In fact, we believe that you cannot expect to reduce poverty whilst keeping smaller farmers at the same income level. Now, this kind of mentality that have kept many smaller farmers poor and is perpetuating the cycle of poverty in many developing economies. Now, if you are serious about reducing poverty, then it is crucially important that we design innovative programs that support farmers to achieve both food and nutrition security through increasing disposable household income. 
In fact, Daniel says quite clearly a new mindset is needed. Yeah, so I mean, throughout history, farmers have been only been relying on doing what you call subsistence agriculture. So they grow what only they will need. And that's the reason why poverty is so pervasive in many African countries. If you keep on that approach, farmers will continue to be poor. But at the moment you can encourage farmers to get into programs like this, where they are producing cash crops, then the farmers can have much more income. Having a much higher income is quite fundamental. That's the only way you can ensure inclusive growth. That's the only way you can ensure that development is inclusive, including everybody, and everybody is taking advantage of the capital gain that is making at the other end of the value chain. So we've heard from a researcher and a businessman. Now let's turn to a policymaker and get their perspective on our food and nutrition security assumption. Yeah, my name is Nate Antoni Na. I am the Municipal Director of Agriculture in the Kwaibibri Municipal Assembly in the Eastern Region of Ghana. As a regional municipal director for the Ministry of Agriculture, what does Anthony think of our dangerous assumption? If you increase the income of the smallholder, that smallholder is able to get access to production, inputs, as land, other things, and it is through that that he is able to increase production and produce quality food, which ensures food security for them. But what about the research which shows farmers neglecting food production in some situations due to focusing too heavily on cash crops? Anthony recognises the risk. In some cases, as soon as the income of the holder is enhanced or increased, uh, his attention is diverted towards other businesses. For example, Somebody who is able to get increase in his income can decide not to go into production again, but rather go and use that money for other businesses. And at times, those businesses fail, which means the person comes back to square one. But in our municipality or in the region where I work, it is not so. Increasing their income ensures their full security. Unlike our researcher Kakra, Anthony thinks that when companies move in to work with smallholders on cocoa and oil palm, that there is enough focus on food production. The, the big companies, oil palm and cocoa, cocoa farms in Ghana, they, in the first place, some of the land that the smallholders cultivate are still there for them. Not all the land that the smallholder farmers cultivate is taken by these uh, uh, big companies. Two, the big companies employ people from the community and they, they pay them. That increase their income and they also use it to invest in their farms, their smallholder farms. And through that, they get increase in their income and then their food security, food and nutritional security is also ensured. And the companies offer more opportunities through training, which also has a positive impact on food and nutrition security. Capacity building. The, 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 the Department of Agri, to which I head, will liaise with the companies to build the capacity of the smallholders, especially in food processing, um, standardization and storage. So what I would say is that 
the existence of the companies in the municipality is enhancing the income of the farmers and is contributing greatly to their food security. Another important factor in determining food and nutrition security for families is the question of who has the decision-making power and who controls the income. This relates to both the production system and gender. I did a survey that I asked farmers who make decisions in terms of cash crop, food crop, marketing of their crops and spending of their income. And then you realize that in all the household, even when they are in outgrower scheme, is the head of the household. And in 90% of the cases, the head of the household is the man. And you realize that even in an outgrower scheme, outsiders or the outgrower uh, company doesn't really have a say, a lot of say in these things. It's still within a household affair. So this is more, that, more a cultural thing where they say, the tree crop is for the man, the food crop is for the woman, the man controls the income, the woman is just to receive chop money from the man. So if the man doesn't give, if he's holding all the money in his pocket, and then the woman has to manage whatever little amount that the man is going to give. And that is why it is important that even in a household, in a married household, if women, if we are able to empower women there to also have their own incomes, then it works better. Then food and nutrition security increase in that family. Because where a woman has no income, she is depending totally on the husband. She depending on the money that the husband gives. If at the end of the evening the husband still doesn't give the money, the woman has to find food for the household. And I remember one instance my grandmother told me about a household that the, the man was a drunkard, he had money but would not give to the woman and sometimes the woman would put stones on fire in a bowl and put on fire and tell the children she's cooking the meal. And it takes years for the meal to get cooked because it's actually stones. And by the time you realize the children either fall asleep or they follow their friends to their houses to, to eat and then they go back to bed. And so it is important in a setting like Ghana where women control cooking of food and production of food if they have some income. And if they are allowed to produce, in that way, they are able to feed their families better. Yeah. Another research project has focused more on examining the role of affordable food supply as a solution for food and nutrition security. It's the Fish for Food project. It focused on Ghana's rapidly growing urban population and looked at their sources of nutrition and in particular the role of fish in people's diets. The basic uh, research questions we tried to achieve by this was to what extent the contribution of low-price fish value chains contribute to food security in Tamale and Accra. I'm Benjamin Campion. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Fisheries and Watershed Management. That's a department in the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, Kumasi, that's in Ghana. 
University lecturer Benjamin worked on the research project in Ghana together with Dutch researchers. He stresses the importance of fish for Ghanaians. About 60% of uh, protein comes from fish. That's household protein comes from fish. And therefore, Ghana, most Ghanaians largely in one way or the other would, con would eat fish. And therefore, these household decisions as to the protein choices, if about 60% of the protein comes from fish, then that tells you that a large decision-making in terms of uh, nutrition is centered around fish, which type of fish, how much fish, and where the fish would also come from. Asked if an increase in income would necessarily increase the food and nutrition security of those in the fish production chain, our dangerous assumption, Benjamin says this. Uh, yeah, I think uh, from from my point of view, it's a dangerous assumption because all things being equal, uh, I would say that an increase in income will make a household more secured in various ways. That is normal. However, what we find is that uh, the household will be faced with various challenges and these challenges sometimes changes the narrative whereby the increase in income does not necessarily uh, lead to uh, increase in food security. Uh, somebody who gets a sudden increase in income might even drift into eating junk food and uh, because you've always been craving for all other foods that you don't get and you think that what you don't have is the best and therefore a sudden increase in income usually will lead to some of these uh, cravings for food and other things that might not be uh, might not lead to food security or they make them nutrition insecure what we find in ghana is that uh, the social security is the biggest form or is the biggest backbone for food security and therefore people in trying to become uh, secure in all ways in any form of uh, security not only food or nutrition security one of the things that we do in ghana is to build the social security and therefore if you inv a, a person might be inv investing more in the family with the idea that when i grow older or when i don't have the other members of the family will support me so the age of the household members the educational attainment of household members the diversity of sources of income of household members are bigger determinants of food security than just increasing income. Because uh, resilience in our part of the world is not uh, attained through income, but the resilience is mostly attained through uh, more of a social cap uh, capital more in the things that you have done in the society and therefore people can even starve people can forgo food just to build that social capital that would make them more secure certainly plenty to consider then our four speakers from ghana are divided on the question of whether or not increasing income necessarily leads to increasing food security having spoken with researchers business people and policy makers 
two say the assumption is dangerous and two say the assumption is not. And this reflects the findings from the many other countries in Africa and Asia where research shows that higher income doesn't necessarily lead to improved food and nutrition security. Overall, the multi-country research program clearly shows two main points. The first is that farmer households may prioritize other expenditures than food when they acquire a higher income, for example, a new roof for their house, funerals or weddings, health costs, assets like a motorbike, education. Others even spent it on status food, often fast food, of lower nutritional quality than their traditional diet. The second main point is that a distinction is needed between the short and the long term. Even if farmers choose not to use the extra income on more or better food for their families now, the way in which this extra income is spent may positively affect their food and nutrition security in the mid and long term. For instance, diversification into non-farm business activities has been reported as an effective strategy to improve food and nutrition security whereas investing in children's education is also likely to improve food and nutrition security in the long term. So there's no need to throw the assumption overboard entirely. There's a relationship between income and food and nutrition security, but it's more complex than often pictured. And the message for policymakers and practitioners is that it's a fallacy to think that the job is done as soon as farmers have more money in their pockets. Let's give the final word to Kakra, our researcher from Ghana. So farmers already know all these diversities and how it's affecting them. And I think it's up to policy to catch up and to to let go of that dangerous assumption that we are just aiming to increase income. We are aiming to increase income. And just say we embrace what farmers already also know. And you know this is true and we are going to help you make this a reality. I think that's the way to go. You've been listening to the Dangerous Assumptions podcast from the Science for Global Development Division of the Dutch Research Council. My name is Andy Clark, and I've been producing this podcast together with Ellen Lammers and Daniela de Vinter from DBM Research. It would be great if you can share the podcast in your network, as we'd love to generate discussion. You can learn more about the Food and Business Research Programme at nwo.nl forward slash food and business nwo.nl forward slash food and business if you want to react to this podcast then send a message to gcp at nwo.nl gcp at nwo.nl thanks for listening